Self-expression rag. Thank you. 
Okay, all right, gang, let's get on here now. That was not bad. Bring that on there, Skip, if you will. Let's go. Right, I think we need to chew it or chew it. Oh, here What a cacophony. Holy smokes, I can't even hear the sound. Oh, that sounds good. That's great. That's great. I'll tell you, things are popping around here. Now, oh, yes, uh, before I get underway here, uh, I've got to explain something. I've been getting uh, a lot of letters, uh, technical letters, of course, uh, a lot of technically-minded listener types out there, and a lot of technical letters out there about what kind of a Jews harp I use. People write in and say, because a lot of guys are buying these little lead uh, 15 cent cockamamie juice harps which all they'll do friend is give you bad front teeth and probably chop your tongue to ribbons but uh, uh, no I'm serious there's a lot of bad ones right now listen carefully to this uh, to this juice harp now listen that's a juice harp that ain't no kid stuff now listen again beautiful instrument now, enough of that. My friends, learn ventriloquism. Throw your voice. Amaze and mystify your friends. Anywhere, you get lots of fun. Fooling the teacher, policemen, peddlers, and surprise and fool all your friends with a little magic ventrilo. Sounds like I'm selling something here, doesn't it? Well, I ain't. I ain't. That's my problem. 23rd floor has been yelling about that for years. All right, now let's uh, let's get on with work here, friends. Work. Hey, listen, I have a sad little note here from Cincinnati. Not sad. It's kind of funny, really. Oh, it's sad. Depends on how you look at it. Uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, AP. An aerial photography adventure went awry as a helium-filled balloon with camera attached, used by three youths from suburban Kenwood, snapped its 1,000-foot line and drifted off into the wild blue yonder. We did it before. When we went up to 450 feet, and we got great pictures then, Robert Seaford, 15, said. This time we wanted to get a little higher. That's right, kid. Ain't that the truth? Almost everybody that tries to get a little higher gets his wingies clipped. That's a good way to get shot down, kid. I mean, you don't settle for 450 feet, go up to 1,000, and that's it. The ball game. You lost the balloon, the, the string, the whole bit. Helium. I'll tell you one thing, though. I can just see this uh, guy flying along in his Cherokee. When all of a sudden he sees in front of him a helium-filled balloon operated by <laughs> a bunch of 15-year-old kids. And, uh, yeah, it could be exciting. But uh, one of the greatest aerial adventures I ever heard of, I mean, people are all interested in aerial adventures, of course. Uh, did you hear about this guy up in, um, I think it was either Rochester or Buffalo, a couple of years ago? He went down, and this will interest you, Skip, because you're a surplus junk-type guy. Yes, of course. You're, you, well, you bought more than your share of surplus electronics, haven't you? All right. You've gone into these surplus joints, and th there's hardly a man with a soul so dead who doesn't to himself say when he goes by one of these places that says surpluses, holy smokes, maybe I can get something great here. And, of course, all they've got in there is they've got these switchblades in the window. Have you seen those surplus? You wonder what kind of an army they had switchblades in. And they're all surplus. And uh, nevertheless... Uh, and he went into the surplus joint, 
And uh, he got some genuine surplus. He bought uh, some of these Signal Corps balloons, you know, these weather balloons. Have you seen the, them advertised? And he bought a whole bunch of these babies. And uh, they were cheap, and so he got them for about a dollar piece or something. They weren't the big ones. They were maybe four or five feet around. And uh, they're made out of, uh, I think they're made out of something like uh, neoprene. Like they're, they're plastic, really. They're not rubber types. And so he takes these things home. He's sitting around. He's got a bunch of balloons and all. Well, you know, men often do that. They buy stuff just because it's great to have. You know, you have no reason to have it, you know. Did you hear about poor Dave Garraway's got six Norden bomb sites? Yeah, there's a strange guy. No, Garraway, you know, a couple of years ago went through. He really got involved in this uh, bomb shelter thing. He built a bomb shelter. No, remember when everybody was running around building bomb shelters and that craze swept the country? And I bet there's a lot of guys now with a great big hole in the ground with canned goods down there. And what the hell are going to do with it? But nevertheless, he built himself a bomb shelter. Well, the other day, I heard that he also owns six Norden bomb sites. And I wonder what a psychologist could do with that. <laughs> I just thought I'd bring that up for, for grabs and let you, you know. But, the, you know, it, it's easy enough. You, you go into a place. I, I bought a couple of things like that. I, I went into a surplus place one day. And, um, and this was, uh, you know, when I had a lot of great surplus around, all kinds of wild surplus. And I, I walked into this joint with a friend of mine, another ham, amateur radio operator. And there's a whole raft of junk since you. Fantastic junk. And it's brown boxes, all with GI paint all over it, and serial numbers like uh, so MG 10714-9, a QMC slash four, serial number 01000, that kind of stuff. And you just look at all this stuff; it's great. You wonder what it's for. And it's got knobs, and it's got switches on it, and lights that light up, and everything. Well, I I saw a pile of things. I thought, now that's that's something that I should have. Now I never really thought it out why I should have it. It's just one of those things like, uh, I should have this. And uh, I bought, you're, look, you're looking at a guy right now who bought $17 worth of 28-volt Selsun motors. Now, I've got the most beautiful collection of left-hand, right-hand, and the in-between Selsun motors you ever saw in your life. And they're all GI-colored. They're painted nice. You know, they got nice green and red and purple and blue leads coming out of them. And uh, so I bought them, and I had a big box full of them, a tremendous big wooden crate they came in, all packed. And they were new, by the way. It's just an unused, new condition. And I says, well, gee, you know, it's not every day that you can get a chance to buy a $17 box of Selsun motors there, have a nice assortment, you know. That, you know, if you ever need a Selsun motor, you run down the basement and pull it out, and you're in business like that. So I went, <laughs> I went down the basement. And put them down in the in the down the basement where I, at that time I was living uh, outside of Chicago. I was going to school. I had a box of Selsun motors. Of course, my mother got real bucked because this box was oh I'd say fifteen feet high, about twenty feet long, weighed about seven and a half tons, and they had to come. They brought it in a big semi tractor and <laughs> loaded it. All oh, these Selsun motors are heavy, and uh, I had a, an assortment of Selsun motors. Well, I stuck them down in the basement. Never used them. And they became a giant white elephant around the house. My, everybody around the house is bugged all the time about the Selsun motors. And my mother, of course, didn't know what a Selsun motor was. And I'll grant you, listener, you don't know what a Selsun motor is, right? I do. I know all about Selsuns. Now, I'll tell you why I bought a Selsun motor. I don't know why I'm having this uh, personal confrontation night tonight. But when I was in the Signal Corps, 
And we were, we were always talking about Selson Motors. We had, we had Selson Motors all over our, our radar sets. And I'd, I'd go up to the, I'd go up to the antenna dish and so on. I'd look at the Selson Motors working and they're great. If you don't know what a Selson Motor is, they're magic. And, uh, Selson Motors are used in aircraft, all kinds of things. Well, I saw that box of Selson Motors and I knew I had to have them. Because I always secretly wanted one when I was playing with a radar set in a single court. Well, then I found myself with a box of Selsons. You want to know how many Selson motors came in that box, friends? You're curious, huh? I don't imagine you are. But uh, there may be a few technically-minded cuckoos out there who might be interested in knowing how many Selson motors Shepard owned. Shepard owned 43 Selson motors. And they were packed for overseas shipment, which uh, meant that they came with all these... Uh, moisture absorbent bags and little bags that hang in there it says do not remove in case of uh, removal be careful because the moisture will get in and the bugs will eat the leads and all that stuff they were beautifully packed and it, they came with spare wiring harness eye I don't know what they is a uh, you're a horse cuckoo what is the uh, uh, plural of harness is it harnesses harnesses oh that's dull uh, just plain harnesses harness eye harness harnessy oh I see Harnese, very good. <laughs> Hi, George. Those horse people are literate. It's all get out, aren't they? But nevertheless, there seems to be a little Italian stream running through it, too. But uh, uh, I, they came with beautifully wrapped harnese, which is a extra hiring, wiring harnesses. Harnese? Harnese. What's not? Now, here's another note. Oh, they came with them straps. I see. <laughs> that's, what, uh, that's what real horse people call a harness. Hey, help me put on them straps on that horse. So uh, nevertheless, uh, I got this. Uh, I got this great box of uh, Selsun motors. Now you want to hear the happy ending of, to it, friends? This is WOR, New York. The happy ending. Oh, oh say, be, uh, speaking of happy endings, do you have that little goodie in there? Okay, hit the button. Too many burglaries are committed because someone's eyes are closed. This is Patrolman Jesse Peterman of the <clears throat> New York City Police Department. Burglars count on people to mind their own business. They boldly approach unoccupied homes and apartments secure in the knowledge that nobody is watching. The strange car that parks or cruises your block is cause for suspicion. The stranger who loiters on your block or in your building is cause for suspicion. When you think something is wrong on your block or in your building, call the police. Better an unnecessary call than a burglarized home. Burglars want eyes closed. What better reason to keep your eyes open? Remember, a burglar usually works alone. Don't you become his partner. This was a reminder from your Community Relations Division of the New York City Police Department. Hooray for Princeton. Hooray for the Ivy League. Hooray for all deep thinkers everywhere. Hooray for... Yeah, once again, Princeton has done it. At least WPRB has done it which is, as you know, the deep-thinking Princeton radio station, they're bringing Gene Shepard to Alexander Hall in Princeton live as a big, fat, speckled bird. <laughs> who's Shepard? You slob. What do you mean, who's Shepard? Bring it up there. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's enough of that there. And yeah, now I'm going to be at Princeton the 13th, February 13th, and it's Saturday at 8 p.m., Alexander Hall. That's right in the heart of Princeton, New Jersey. And if you'd like to call them for uh, ticket information, dial area code 609-452-3655.
Uh, hang loose if you want to hear some true camp. True camp. You got him? K. Kaiser? True camp. Listen to this. This is bad news. Here's our theme song, Thinking of You. A beautiful thought, beautifully expressed by Harry Babbitt. <laughs> to him move. You know, it's hard to believe people dug this stuff. Seriously. That's uh, old Kay Kaiser, man. College of musical knowledge. I'll give you a brass figlegy boy with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me who the featured girl vocalist was with that band. That was Harry Babbitt, uh, who sang... Uh, he, he would sing the titles. You know, there was a whole a craze there for a while with Sammy Kay and all those guys, and this guy would come on and say... Deep Purple Falls. And, and then, and then the uh, band leader, all band leaders in that day and age thought themselves tremendous poetry readers. Some of the worst poetry reading I ever heard in my, in my life was uh, Sammy Kay reading uh, Edgar Guest. And he used to do it over the... Do you remember that? They used to read it over the beginning and say, Now, a lovely song sung by a lovely young lady about a lovely thought. When the Deep Purple Falls with Miss Who? Don't you remember who sang in this band? All right. Why do I know all that stuff? And Sully Mason sang. <laughs> La -da -tee -tee. What a sickening song. But uh, nevertheless, I, uh, you want to hear about my Celsa Motors? Wait a minute. There's a happy ending to this, friends. You have not heard what the happy ending is. Old Shep had 43 Celsa Motors in the basement packed in their original packing, 28 volts. And there were two-phase Selsun motors. You don't know what that means, do you? <laughs> Gee, I know a lot of stuff. I'll tell you, sometimes it gets me sick just to think how much stuff I know that is useless. Uh, hardly anybody comes up to me and says, Shemp, would you please give me a definition of a two-phase Selsun motor and uh, how the uh, wiring diagram works there? And I know, see, I know these things. A lot of things I don't know, I don't remember. Who got elected in the last election? I don't know these things, you know. The other day, somebody said, Eugene McCarthy, 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 he used to play. Did he play with the Browns? And that turns out, no, you know, I don't remember the real stuff. So, uh, nevertheless, I bought 43 Selsun Motors, and I was the laugh of the neighborhood. I just tell you I was a pariah and a martyr. And uh, you, you, what are you all, you writing all the time in there? I'm just curious. I just like to know what you're writing. Labels all the time. Labels? What are you labeling? Well, I just want to know. I'm, you know, I'm just curious. I'm just curious. In that <laughs> but the, I, I bought these motors. Let's get back to the show here. 43 of them. And they stayed in the basement. And my mother, I moved out of the house. And uh, now I'm living out in the right wide world. And, of course, I have seven tons of Selsun motors left home. And that didn't go with my mother's fern plants. And, uh, you know, her geraniums and all that stuff. And so one time, she was going to move. She called me up long distance and said, what am I going to do with all that, that, that stuff you've got in the basement, that big box? It's beginning to sink down into the concrete. I said, well, Ma, why don't you move it with you? You never know, you know. There might be an evil. She said, oh, please, what am I going to do with it? I said, oh, Ma, gee whiz, I, I want them. You know, you never know. And <laughs> this, this is a male thing, isn't it? And so she moved the Selsun Motors. And don't think I heard the last of that. Now, you, I heard a lot about that. Well, two years ago, three years ago, roughly, I am looking 
through one of my favorite reading materials. You know, I'm constantly reading 73, QST, CQ, all these magazines, electronic uh, news and so forth. They're back in the want ad section. It's sent. I am looking for 28-volt Selsun Motors, two-phase. Will pay up to... You ready for this, friends? $35 a piece for Selsun Motors in good condition. <laughs> well, I don't have to tell you that within five minutes there was a special delivery letter in the mail. And two and a half days later, I got a letter back. And there was all exclamation points all over it. And it said, you mean in factory chitons with a spare harnessy? And I said, yes, indeed. I was in the catbird seat. You know what I sold them for? What a deep purple false. I, frankly, friends, am now in the Selsun Motor business. Let a t- <laughs> no, these are little things. These are the dreams you always have, you know? And it actually worked. Now, I don't know what this guy's doing with Selsun Motors. I understand that they make tremendous, excellent weights. You know, put in the bottom of gunny sacks when you have one of your friends sewed into it. But, uh, Oh, what a sick mind. But uh, nevertheless, uh, they're, they're handy. But uh, as a kid, uh, now this is a male thing. I'm going to do a male show here tonight, and, and it's related to that little incident of the helium balloon. You hear about that guy up in Rochester who I was telling you who went into the surplus joint? You didn't think I'd get back to it, right, huh? Well, I am back to it. He bought about two dozen surplus weather balloons, and he brought them home. Of course, everybody laughed, and they snorted. And uh, he had a box of them. And, you know, it's not easy to be laughed at when you do something as basically uh, exciting to a male as buy something wild at the surplus store. <laughs> you know what I mean. And so he's fooling around down the basement with these balloons. And somebody said, well, what are they for, Charlie? And he said, well, you put gas in them. See, they go up. And uh, they send back weather or something. You have a string on it or something. And it has a transmitter. sends back weather. I said, well, you don't have any transmitters. You don't care what the weather. All you got to do is call weather. You'll give you the weather. You don't have to put up a balloon, you know. So that's true. You never know, though. So he fooled around a couple of days, and then it hit him one afternoon at work. Balloons, balloons, balloons. Think of it. Think of a balloon, friends. What do balloons do? They go up, right? Well, that means that the, we think of other kinds of balloons, not just little balloons in the park. Uh, think of... Uh, the Gordon Bennett Trophy Race. You know, those big balloons, that's number 42 on the side with a basket hanging on the bottom. Wouldn't you like to go up in a balloon sometime? Well, he took 12 of these babies out in the backyard one Saturday. Did you hear this story? And he bought somewhere, and uh, I don't know where he got it, but he got a hold of some helium. Not easy to get helium, you know, but he got some helium, and he filled these babies up. Now, they're big. They're about five feet around. These are big big ones, you know, big silver ones. He's got about five balloons now. They're five feet around. And so he, they have rings on the bottom to which the mooring cable was attached when they were original. So he says, why don't I get some nylon... Yeah. And he rushes down in the basement and he comes up with a, with a big roll of nylon clothesline to which he cuts about nine to 15-foot pieces and he ties them on the bottom of the balloons. You got it? Now it's getting exciting. See, they're tugging away there, and he's got them hooked up to the to stakes in the ground. 
And uh, one of his friends comes over and says, Geez, look at them balloons flying there. Boy, oh boy, look at them making hardy weight to get up. He says, Yep. What are you going to do with them? Well, I got an idea. He went into the house when everybody went to the Bohax. He went into the house and he got a rocking chair. And he tied the balloons to the rocking chair. First, of course, anchoring it to the garage. And now he has a rocking chair that is five feet up in the air. You got it? And the balloons are hanging way up in the air now, seeing the boy, it's tugging away. Well, he could not resist. He got in a rocking chair, and he hollered to his friend, Fred. He says, cast off, Fred! And Fred cast off, and whoosh, up he went. And within about eight and a half milliseconds, this guy is 5,000 feet over New York State, sitting in his rocking chair. <laughs> you, a lot of you people are thinking I'm telling you a story. This is an absolute truth. Well, here he is. He's wild. You know, he's sitting in this rocking chair. And it's got, you know, it's got regular armrests. He's holding up. He doesn't even have a safety belt. He's just sitting there looking down. Well, you think Dr. Doolittle is insane. If you think flying around like that nun that does in TV, listen, that nun doesn't get up into the upper atmosphere as far as I know. She doesn't get in the, in the, uh, in the basic traffic pattern of major airports. Well, that's what he did. And here he is, 5,000 feet in the air, and all of a sudden, a DC-7C goes by. And these guys are all looking out. The people are in the, <laughs> in the airplane. See, they're all looking out at this guy. Here he's sitting in a rocking chair with the balloons. Well, now, it's not easy for a pilot to radio the control tower that he's just passed a guy sitting in a rocking chair at 5,000 feet, which is what he had to do. He says, hey, there's a guy in a rocking chair here at 5,000 feet, and he seems to be uh, right in the basic approach pattern, the ILS pattern approach here right to the airport. And sure enough, they picked him up on radar. And, you know, not every rocking chair is picked up on radar, and this one was. And here's this guy sitting up there looking, and he's going up. Not going down, he's going up. Oh, he was terrified. Well, they uh, followed him around <laughs> with the radar. He's going out. He's drifting out. There's a lake up there. Something. He's drifting out over the lake. And, and he stabilized. Uh, they, you know, a balloon will stabilize. They don't just keep going up. And this balloon stabilized at about 5,500 feet, which meant that uh, uh, there is where it was sort of at balance. You see, he's not going up. He's not going down. He's just drifting around. Well, of course, the word got out. The neighborhood right away. And every guy that had a Cherokee or a, or a Cessna went up to see the guy. And <laughs> But he was just sitting there. That, that, that to me, uh, oh, for those of you who are interested in sartorial notes, he was wearing a straw hat. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of exciting to go up and look at this guy. Well, he flew around and people flying around looking at him. And finally, after hours, he drifted down. You know what happens when it gets cold? Of course, as it gets closer to nighttime, the balloon, uh, the gas begins to contract and it loses its lift and down he came. Well, he came down very, very gradually until, one, sure enough, about 1 o'clock in the morning, he finally made a beautiful two-rocker landing. He landed right on the rockers. <laughs> he made a two-rocker landing right in the middle of a farm field there. And, of course, there was a great crowd of people who were running along the ground following him. He had no landing lights either. He had no, no running lights. Anything. And they finally picked him up, and down he came. Well, of course, he was a hero in the neighborhood. I understand, too, that he received a couple of letters from the FAA for unqualified flying in the major airways. But uh, nevertheless, he was a hero. I have not heard any more about this guy since. I'd like to know what he's doing on the surplus doors. He says, I understand there's rockets and everything available, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Did you know that at one time... That sounds hard to believe. You know that at one time that they had the propulsion units of German V-1 rockets around? 
You put that on the back of your Mustang and you'll go, man. And uh, there were guys who did it. But uh, one of the things that I thought was, uh, you know, maybe it's upper New York State. This is the land of the cuckoo anyway. You know, uh, uh, architectural cuckoos. You know, uh, have you ever read those things like uh, Archibald's Folly? You know, I said, well, there's a million of them up there in New York State. You know, like uh, Bullwinkle's Boo Boo. And it's the local uh, site. And everybody goes there and the guy built a house in the shape of a Coke bottle. And it revolves and <laughs> has birds on the top of it. Well, that's New York State. And I think one of the greatest examples of that kind of cuckooism was the guy... Did you hear about the guy uh, in Rochester here a couple of years ago who uh, got an outboard motor? Now, he figured this out. He got tired of scuba diving, which everybody does. You know, this is a nothing thing after a while. You get tired of uh, uh, surfing. That gets to be the same thing. I wonder if surfing is probably the dullest sport ever invented. You know, just keep coming back and going out and coming back. And after a while, you know... You've done. You've seen one wave. You've seen them all, and so uh, this guy was getting bored with all that, and he strapped on his back. Now get this, Skip. He strapped on his back an outboard motor. Now everybody's going to say that's ridiculous. He took off and he went right across Lake Ontario. Ah! And his head is sticking out in front. You know, like one of these. Uh, well, what is? It? <laughs> what do they call that thing that sticks out in front with the with the golden wings and all that? Uh, Oh, you know. What they used to put on clipper ships, that lady made out of wood. She wasn't called a centerpiece. Now, what the heck was she called? <laughs> what do they call that thing yet? It's right on the tip of my ear there. There it is. Uh, figurehead. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's like the president. Yeah. And uh, it just goes down. It's just... What's the matter with that? A figurehead is a figurehead. That's another... Well, now, let's get back to the real thing. Please, if you will, Skip, please. I've got, got to tell you a sad story. Thanks for telling us. That was cheek of At night when you're asleep. Yeah, into your tent. I'll creep, 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 and creep. Yeah. Da-da, your room is old and with me. You see me playing the shaperie with that? Who was it who used to sing a lot like that? It was Rose Murphy. Yeah, she sang a little bit like that. Didn't have quite the beat that I've got, but uh, she sang like that. But uh, you, they, the kids, now boys have very, very different, and we're not even dealing with the, with basic biological things here. Boys have very, very different instincts than girls about stuff like that. I mean, I just can't see a chick going into a surplus store and looking at Selsen Motors. Can you? Oh, that's just an impossibility. You can't, you, you can't see it. Now, I'm sure that tomorrow morning I'm going to get 5,000 letters from girls who uh, claim that they do that. But uh, I have yet to see it. I don't care what you write in your letter. I have yet to see it, and I haunt many of those joints. Once in a while, a girl would come in looking for a surplus army jacket, something like that. It's all, it's all uh, connected with vanity and ego. But it is not an egotistical thing when a guy's in there looking at Selsen Motors. I, who knows? Uh, where, where, I, I mean, the difference between male and female is a fantastic gulf. 
and it's much greater than Vogue magazine would have you believe. Now, one of the basic kid urges, male-type kid urges, is to fly things. I mean it. I mean to get things up in the air. And I used to build kites by the millions. All kinds of kites. You did that too, didn't you, Skip? Must have built kites. And uh, of course, as we built kites, we would, me and Bruner and Flick would build these kites. Now we built all types. Sometimes we'd build a big triangular type, box kites. In fact, one, one of the greatest experiences I've ever had as a kite flyer was there was a... Uh, you, you experiment, you see. This is something else girls don't really do a great deal of, is experimenting with technical things. And uh, we began to experiment about uh, uh, around the whole concept of building the tiniest kite you could build that would actually fly, and I mean fly consistently and be stable. And I remember there was a kid named Falk in our neighborhood. And uh, Falk... Uh, Henry Falk, his name was. And, and, and uh, Falk built a kite that became sort of a cause celeb in our, in our, among all the kids. He built a tiny box kite that was no bigger than maybe, oh, I would say roughly not much more than an inch and a half to two inches high. Tiny thing. It was made of very fine Japanese paper, the kind used on the lightest model airplanes. And it was very fine, one thirty-second inch balsa, even finer than that. He he uh, uh, he sanded even that down, and used the lightest type of airplane dope that he could get to glue this together. And it was a tiny triangular shape. If you look, if you look down on the top of it, Skip, it was triangular shaped. You know, it's a three-sided box kite, and it had three main longerons that went like that. And the long way, it was roughly an inch and a half to two inches high. And it was covered. It had the little panels around it. It was actually a tiny scale model of a legitimate large-sized box kite. And he covered it with blue and white paper. The top was this very light blue paper and the bottom was this very light blue paper. And then he went, he went around and uh, went to a sewing store where they sell buttons and junk like that. And he bought the finest thread that he could get. There is a certain kind of very fine silk thread that is used for a certain type of hem stitching for very fine things like fine lace handkerchiefs and so on. So fine that if you just took this thread, you could just pull it apart. It just broke. It was, it was silk. And he bought about five spools of this stuff, which he spliced together. And he put it on a, on a spool. And then all five spools were put on a spool. And I remember him standing out on the street, like waiting for a bus. And he would let this box cut. It would go right up. He'd just hold it in his hand, and the slightest breeze, almost the breeze that's imperceptible, he would let this box kite go up, and he would feed this string out. And it was, it was wild. He would stand on the street corner, waiting for a bus, or going to school, and his little box kite would float about 30 feet above his head. Just up there. You couldn't even see the string. It was insane. It was a tiny thing. And everybody's cheering. And it was a wild... It was really an achievement, really. Well, we discovered then that there was a, an, a national kite flying contest. Did you know that there's a national kite flying championship and there's a whole association and all that? Well, they wrote about it in the, in the model airplane news. And so Falk entered his little kite in the miscellaneous contest. And he overnight became a 
hero, not only a hero, a legend in town. He won the gold medal for the most unusual miscellaneous kite. And he came back. It was, it was held in Cleveland or someplace like that. He came back with his little kite with medals hanging all over to him. <laughs> and, and here's what was so maddening. We went around and tried to build these things. Well, well, I, nobody could build a kite. It, it's quite often this way. Well, the first kite he built was still the most successful of all of them. He never built one again that was as small and as beautiful as that first one. And I began to build them. I, the, the smallest I ever built was about two and a half, maybe three inches that I could get flying. I could not get the tiny ones to fly. And I remember Falk with his beautiful little kite standing out there. Little son of a gun's flying. But this is a, this is a male thing. You just don't see girls do this kind of thing. But this story of the kids with the, with the uh, camera and the helium balloon reminds me of one of the great tragedies of my kidhood. That we building kites, you see, and, and as you build, you begin to make variations. You begin to have all kinds of. We used to uh, all kinds of uh, technical innovations. For example, one of the things we used to do, we would take a kite, and you can uh, you can build. Uh, we used to build little wire attachments on the kite, so that when she got up maybe three or four hundred feet, we'd get her well up there. The kite would drop a parachute. Uh, you've done that. Well, then we used to attach flares to the parachute. For example, one of the one of the tricks we had. Was to, was to attach a, a uh, with a time-fusing situation, which you could build. Uh, we used to attach sparklers, and that thing would drop a sparkler, and it would light, and it would come down. Well, one day, I'm standing out there, and we're flying to kites, and uh, I got this idea. So I said, gee, wouldn't it be great if we could, if we could uh, take pictures from the kite? This is a kid urge to take pictures from the kite. And so I ran in a house. Now, two years before, one of my prize absolutely prized pieces of personal property was a great gift that I got, Christmas gift, an Argus 35-millimeter camera. You know that Argus they had? It was a great little camera, and I really dug that camera. And I, I went in the house, and I got this camera, and I was trying to hook it on the kite and figure out how I could trigger it and all that. Well, I got that kite up. We had a big kite about five, six feet high, and we got that baby up. And sure enough, we were able to trigger that kite. We were able to trigger, trigger the uh, camera. And we got some pictures. Of course, we got a cloud, got a piece of the string once. And, and the one time we got a little piece of the earth done, we were really wildly excited until that terrible, awful Saturday that it happened. My kite is now riding up about maybe four or 500 feet, and collecting Bruner and all of us are running around trying to get this thing working. We had a long, what you did, we took a long thread, and we had put guide uh, little guide loops on the string so that it wouldn't flop around, little guide loops, and that thread went right up the string, and we could operate the camera with this thread. Well, it's up there now. We're paying it out. It's laying up there, and the wind was a good cracking wind. It was just cracking along there, flopping along, and the tail of the kite was flopping back and forth, and the camera, I could see the camera hanging up there, and I had two brass clips that I had made, which were attached to the belly bow of the, of the, uh, of the kite itself. It was very stable, hanging up there, well, I don't know to this day. <laughs> it's like it's like guys who's it's like guys with an atlas, a Gina rocket, will all of a sudden take off and head for Venezuela. You know, they can only guess what happened. Really, well, I do not know to this day. That kite is standing up there, about four or five hundred feet up in the air, beautiful up against the sky. You can see it in, outlined in my mind. My camera, remember, my pride and joy, is getting ready to take a picture. And I take the, 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 the thread, and I said, okay, all set. And I was pointing down, and the guys are looking up. They have these little binoculars, these dime store field glasses we got. And I says, okay, 
All right, now, here I go now. Watch it now. Is it pointing down to the ground? I want to get a picture of the ground. And Bruner's looking at me. Yeah, yeah, it's pointing to the ground now. Because the kite was flopping around. So, yeah, yeah, it's pointing to the ground. Quick now. So I tug it. Like that. He says, okay, it looks like it's good. All of a sudden, it went slack. I felt it go slack. This little string that I was pulling, this thread. I felt it go slack. And sure enough, just like that, I saw a tiny black object leave the kite. I don't have to tell you the rest, friends. I don't know whether you've ever dropped a 35-millimeter Argus camera from, say, 400 feet up. That's about 40 stories, friends. That thing, I could see it coming down, this little black dot, over and over and over and over again. It landed right smack in the middle of Cleveland Street, which was made of the hardest known concrete of the period. I would say conservatively that my Argus camera covered an area of over an acre and a half pulverized we just stood there looked everybody ran down to look of course what was worse was that all my friends cheered that was an exciting thing <laughs> see my camera fall 450 feet that was spread out my mother came out on the steps and she saw this she, she saw she saw the tragedy and like all women types, she says, Well, I told you. <laughs> women don't understand Columbus. They don't understand uh, Lovell and Borman. They just don't. Anders, they don't understand Vasco da Gama. You've never heard of a great woman explorer, you know? She comes along and maybe cooks or something, but, you know, well, do we have to go to the New World, Columbus? I mean, what's there that isn't here? W.O.R., New York. And now the news. Newsroom, Lester Smith reporting. The United States Command in Saigon reports the first American fatalities in the Laotian invasion. It says that four American Army helicopter crewmen were killed when their craft was shot down by enemy gunfire in southern Laos. South Vietnamese forces carrying out the actual ground invasion reported only light resistance as they moved 10 miles into southern Laos on the first day of the campaign to cut the Ho Chi Minh Trail. America's ambassador to the United Nations, Charles Yost, told the Security Council in New York tonight that the United States fully supports the reasons behind South Vietnam's invasion of Laos. However, in Washington, announcement of the official opening of the drive has drawn a storm of reaction from critics of the administration's war policies. The action was condemned by Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman J. William Fulbright, who called for Secretary of State William Rogers to testify at a closed meeting of the committee tomorrow, Senate Democratic leader Mike Mansfield also denounced the action. He warned that if it fails, it would cause a change in plans for United States troop withdrawals from Vietnam. On the administration side, the move was supported by House Republican Minority Leader Gerald Ford. Apollo 14 tonight put another mark in the history books. The first live press conference held from outer space. In a televised 20-minute session, astronauts Alan Shepard, Edward Mitchell, and Stuart Rusa answered reporters' questions relayed to them by Mission Control in Houston. Shepard and Rusa said they were within 100 yards 
of reaching the rim of the Cone Crater, and only time defeated their attempt to scale the moon landmark. They also described the so-called forest of boulders they walked through in the crater, saying that some of them towered as high as 12 feet. Shepard also cleared up the details of his highly publicized space prank, the record-setting golf ball drive on the moon. He was asked exactly how many balls he hit in his three swings and how far they went. Well, you saw the whole action on television. Uh, I missed the first one. Uh, the second one went uh, perhaps uh, a couple hundred yards, and the third one perhaps about 400 yards, which is not bad for a six iron. Certainly, had there wasn't any green in sight. There are no green rocks. There are no green rocks. That uh, gallery commentary came from fellow moonwalker Ed Mitchell. Everything continues smoothly aboard Apollo 14. It's scheduled for its scheduled splashdown in the Pacific at 4.04 p.m. tomorrow. Violence continues in Northern Ireland. The latest wave of trouble touched off when a British Army scout car accidentally hit and killed a five-year-old girl in a Roman Catholic neighborhood in Belfast. Street mobs rushed British soldiers following the incident. Two army vehicles also were ambushed and bombed, wounding two British soldiers. A short distance away, four children were injured by a burst of machine gun bullets in a crossfire between Catholics and Protestants. We'll have more news after this. You believe the old saying, you get what you pay for? Well, if you do, get a copy of the new 1971 Consumer Reports Buying Guide before you spend another dollar. Check the brand name report on men's raincoats, where you'll find a $70 coat without a liner that's no better than a $60 raincoat with a removable alpaca lining. Check the report on loudspeakers. It could save you as much as $170. Check everything from electric scissors to automobiles, and you'll discover you often don't get what you think you're paying for. This 448-page book rates over 2,000 models of various products, it's yours as a bonus for subscribing now to Consumer Reports. A year subscription, 11 monthly issues, plus the 1972 Buying Guide issue, when published, costs $8, $3.90 less than the newsstand price. Send no money, you'll be billed. Call 867-1441 or rush a postcard with your name, address, and zip code number to Consumer Reports, WOR, New York 10018. And for greater convenience, call 867 867- one four four one. A deputy New York City police inspector is in critical condition at Flushing Hospital with injuries suffered tonight when he was struck by another car while changing a tire on his car during a rainstorm at 149th Street and Cross Island Parkway.